Hello, welcome to the New Stack Makers, a podcast where we talk about at scale application development, deployment, and management. AppDynamics is the number one application performance monitoring solution on the market today. See why thousands of enterprise customers choose AppDynamics for delivering world-class application experiences at www.appdynamics.com. Hey everyone, another episode of the New Stack Makers, and today we're talking about next generation data centers with two people from Cisco who are quite knowledgeable on the topics. We have Shrey Parekh, Senior Manager of Product Marketing at AppDynamics. Hey Shrey, how are you? Great, thank you for having us, Alex. You bet. And Whitney Satin, Director of Product Marketing at AppDynamics as well. Hey, Whitney. Hey, Alex. Hey, Shrey. Well, so we are talking about the next generation cloud stacks and what we think are going to be the workloads over the next five to 10 years, what we see as the infrastructure requirements, the role of Kubernetes, the architecture decisions that are being made to account for this future outlook. We're going to cover it all. So. I am really excited about this conversation. It comes back to me about how the concept of data centers have really changed a lot over the past oh, 10 to 15 years. The first generation, some would argue, is over, that we are now into the second generation of data center architectures due to really, I think, in many respects, the developers emerging influence over all aspects of the business in many ways and how they really have help define the way that we think about this, the way we live and work. You know, the grocery services we use, you name it. The developer is a big part of that. And with that, we have a lot of interesting kind of thoughts about how data centers are changing to reflect that. Our own research shows that data centers are really looking to the developer when they're thinking about how they actually build out their own infrastructure. So. I would love to get your thoughts just from the start on how do you see the data centers changing? How do you see workloads changing and the requirements that they face? Whitney, why don't we start with you? Yeah, thanks, Alex. I tend to agree with what you've laid out here. And, and really, we're seeing this monumental disruption in the data center by technologies like cloud, edge computing, you know, even some of those physical form factors that we don't necessarily think of day to day, like power and cooling. It's actually pretty remarkable to think about that level of transformation, all about that infrastructure becoming much more accessible, much less monolithic, and more modern to support some of these new application technologies. Yeah, that's a good point. And when we talk about that, I'm curious on what you mean by that super rapid change. Like, what are some of the things you see at Cisco that have changed over the past five years? You mentioned things that we don't talk a lot about, but I like power and cooling, for instance. Why is power and cooling transformed? Well, if you think about some of the, the broader climate change conversations that are happening, data centers are, are obviously a huge consumer of energy. And, and I think that that is causing some companies to reevaluate how they're thinking about their own footprint. But I think maybe taking an, another step back, you know, I think that one of the biggest changes, and you mentioned with the developers coming onto the scene and really having a lot of control in the conversation just the supremacy of applications today and really being that major focal point about how businesses connect to their customers. So I think that there's just a shift in attitude where it's not just about 
infrastructure for the sake of infrastructure, but needing to put a lens on how do we develop our data centers in order to support that application and ultimately that business outcome that the application helps drive. Mm. Shrey, when you think about those stacks, so to speak, those stacks mm. that people are adopting, you know, we see different stacks for, for instance, container-based architecture stacks, which are really becoming more popular. We see data stacks, really, where the data is really the key to it. We have the more traditional monolithic stacks that have run systems or record software. We have the services that are all there and just the growth of developer tools overall. Now, what does that mean for the people who are building inside of these stacks and you know, developing inside these stacks and for the ones who are managing these new cloud environments? Sure, Alex. So with the proliferation of all the technologies that you mentioned just now, we're seeing the advent of a lot more complexity and of course the need for more scale across developer and operator environments. And so with that being said, developers and operators um, and DevOps teams, right, working hand in hand, they're really looking for ways to simplify their overall approach to configuration, to monitoring, to have more robust control over their full stack environments. They're looking to be able to ensure that all the new technologies that they're implementing, whether it's containers, as you mentioned, container orchestration vehicles like Kubernetes, whether they're really breaking down their monolithic applications into microservices going forward, with all of that complexity now in the environment, they want to ensure that going forward, they're continuing to drive business performance. So that's why DevOps teams are now working hand in hand with application owners, with product line owners, with product managers, and their executive teams to ensure that number one, they have full application infrastructure, full stack performance control. Number two, they're able to monitor these technologies seamlessly and in a single pane of glass, single view. And number three, that they're able to ensure that any of their technologies that they're developing on and that they're implementing, whether it's cloud native or say they're doing a, a cloud migration effort, that these continue to drive business performance and that there's clarity across the board. Gosh, let's just talk about one of those topics in particular, Shrey, and I think about configurations and how configurations are changing. For instance, at AppDynamics, you know, I imagine that you're thinking about configurations and how you're building your own software architectures. We see configurations changing, for example, with Kubernetes. I'm curious on, you know, the AppDynamics story, you know, how you're thinking about configurations and how that's playing out, you know, in your own work with your customers. Kubernetes is one of the hottest topics, um, as you know, of, of 2020, Alex, and with containers and container orchestration, what really excites us here at Cisco about Kubernetes is being able to deploy all of our products, as well as be able to test all of our products before they go into live deployment with ease, agility, and then be able to iterate and modify our configurations as needed. And Kubernetes and containers in general allow us to do that quite seamlessly and be able to then share findings across development teams within Cisco. And then as we're then deploying our products out to customers, for instance, with the Kubernetes cluster agent, which is a product offering that's been in the market for over a year now with AppDynamics and Cisco, 
and really being able to offer the scale, the security, and the operational needs that our customers acquire to be able to now view their containers in a whole new way down to the pods, the nodes, the clusters, the namespaces. And so we're really excited about all the innovation that's coming out on the Kubernetes front here at AppDynamics. So Whitney, when you think about AppDynamics, I know you're focusing on subject matters such as AI ops and APM has been a longstanding strength of AppDynamics. It really is how it emerged. You know, how do these focus areas reflect next generation workloads? Well, I think with AIOps, it's all about bringing context across the entire stack. So starting from what the user is experiencing, that business layer that Shrey was mentioning, deep into the application and infrastructure data that we're generating on an ongoing basis. The ultimate goal is to use that data to and apply some machine learning to really use it to drive automated actions, whether you're thinking about how to intelligently place your workloads, whether you're thinking about how to remediate some code, or even we're starting to get into conversations about how we use that to actually create self-healing and self-protecting environments. So it's all connected and it's a major focal point for how we're pursuing our own innovation strategy within AppDynamics. Connected. So how is it connected? Well, so we want to be able to get visibility across all those different domains and correlate it in order to then drive better informed actions at the end of that cycle. Okay. So how is APM changing in particular? It's been a practice that's been around for a long time, but like a lot of other practices, we're seeing lots of shifts and new approaches. AI ops, I think, must play into that. I was having some conversations earlier today in a discussion about scripting and how scripting is changing so much and how there's a movement to move away from scripting. So APM, how is it changing? What are the new generations of APM? When we're looking at APM, uh, Alex, the evolution of APM that we're really seeing is monitoring is, of course, a core component of any enterprise today. But what organizations are looking for are the more than just a strictly monitoring tool that they can use on-premises or, say, in a cloud or hybrid cloud environment. Organizations are really looking for a partner that they can depend on for a much longer range of time, not just a point solution that can tackle their concerns on the application layer or the infrastructure layer. They really want a holistic vendor that can look full stack end to end. But also we're looking at ways to really broaden our presence across the ITSM environment. So all along the services management and APM of course is one critical element or one critical theme across ITSM. But to your point and to Whitney's point about AI ops, we're really looking at ways to automate the troubleshooting, the ways to get to root cause analysis, but even broader than that, how do we make the lives of our DevOps teams much more streamlined, much more easier, and also that they can rely on Cisco and AppDynamics as the key pane of glass that they're looking in for a number of ITSM-related activities uh, that's important for them. Yeah, and if I can just add one additional point here, I think that APM, I mean, while it's obviously the core of what it is we do and what a lot of our IT ops customers care about, it's almost insufficient at this point. We need to be pulling in data to provide information and better context into how what's going on in the technology stack is impacting business outcomes. We need to be understanding how what's going on with the application and that performance 
is being influenced by what's happening within the infrastructure. So it's all about making those connections across domains so that our teams, our customers can have a much more informed perspective of the actions that they're ultimately taking. Shrey, I wanted to ask you about how things are changing across the industry, but in particular with AppDynamics, you've developed an AppDynamics Kubernetes cluster agent, which allows you to visualize key components of a microservice. You can learn about the structure of your application and its diverse dependencies. And this dependency management is such a big topic now. Maybe you could help shine some light on why you developed this cluster agent and a little bit more about it. Sure, Alex, thanks. When we were serving our customers on their needs and the proliferation of different environments that they're using, whether it's hybrid cloud, whether it's container orchestration, they're enabling their teams on hundreds, if not thousands of microservices that they're utilizing for development. The key concerns were really around how can we ensure that the scale by which we're deploying and that we have confidence that we have full visibility into these environments and also the interdependencies between these environments, as you stated. So when working in a Kubernetes environment, for instance, it can be really challenging to decipher the connections between applications and infrastructure and their impact on the end user experience and business impact. And so what we set out to do with the Kubernetes cluster agent is to really understand this performance holistically along with the dependencies across the entire Kubernetes environment including the multiple entities of that environment. So those includes containers, pods, nodes, deployments, and namespaces. Each of these are critical in really optimizing your workloads. And so now with the cluster agent, our customers and users are really able to visualize the key components of their microservices. And as we continue to iterate on the cluster agent, we're going to be able to add more serverless technology deployments in addition to AWS Lambda and Azure functions, which we offer today, as well as the ability to visualize the interactions between various microservices and obtain system level data to automatically discover and monitor applications running on nodes. And so we're really excited about the next evolution of the cluster agent as we continue to add more scale and operational deployments. Winnie, would you add anything to that? Just emphasize the point that, it, I mean, we want to meet customers where they are. And so there's, there's sort of a maturity that we see in terms of adopting different types of cloud technologies. And for us, it's just the prime value we try to provide is visibility no matter where the application is sitting. So with the Kubernetes cluster agent allows us to meet some of those customers who are a little bit more on the bleeding edge and, and really make sure that they were providing them with that deep visibility into the code and understanding how both the application and infrastructure is working in conjunction with one another to deliver that customer experience. So with that perspective, what is your views on serverless overall and its own evolution and importance for AppDynamics? Sure, I can take that first. So serverless is a theme really within, you know, IT operations and DevOps that has also really taken, come into front over the last several years with the proliferation of many different serverless technologies. So I touched upon two widely used technologies, which are AWS Lambda and Azure functions from two of our larger cloud partners. But when you look at also Google Cloud Platform, you look at private cloud providers, there is just a large environment of serverless technologies, which more bleeding edge DevOps teams, as, as Whitney mentioned, are utilizing today. And so we 
in wanting to meet them where they currently exist and where they're going over the short term and the longer term, we want to ensure that we are building the most robust, extensible platform by which we're tackling some of those major use cases that enterprise architects are looking at and that their teams are tackling day in and day out. Those include intelligent auto-scaling, for instance, the ability to discern root cause analysis and impact, and to provision the right amount of resourcing for your needs, whether you're spinning up serverless technologies each day, whether you have particular resource constraints due to budget, or whether you are actually ensuring that you're utilizing the right serverless technologies to meet business needs. So that's an interesting segue for us about what does that mean for your own cloud native capabilities? What are you planning to offer? What are some of the new announcements that you have about your cloud native capabilities? So with cloud native, we are very excited to be announcing several new cloud native capabilities over the next few months, and they will really fundamentally advance what we offer today. So for instance, in our new interface, we will have a single representation of each object and everything that we know about that object is going to reside in a single place. And we know that customers today are using service-oriented and microservice architectures. We've talked about containers, we've talked about serverless, we've talked about hybrid cloud environments and technologies. And so the new interface that we're going to be introducing will accommodate all of those architectures and technologies. One key data point that I do want to highlight from the WhiteScale 2020 State of the Cloud report is that right now, over 5,000 enterprises surveyed globally, we know that a staggering amount, 94% of those respondents are using the cloud in some format, whether it's a public cloud, private cloud, or hybrid cloud deployment strategy. But by 2021, just next year, only 15% of organizations will have any sort of monitoring in place on their cloud environments. And so that puts a tremendous amount of investment over 250 billion, according to Gartner, in cloud-based solutions at risk. And so with the new cloud native capabilities that we're announcing, we want to ensure that when businesses are making deep investments in the cloud, whether they're using highly distributed multi-cloud microservices, containers, et cetera, that our new visualization, our new platform as well as the extensibility of our platform, will be able to not only meet them where they are today, but also provide them with a roadmap by which they can rely on us as a partner going forward in the cloud journey. Whitney, how does that affect the people who are listening to this show? What is that customer experience that you're trying to provide here, that developer experience, which is so important to so many people who listen to our recordings here? Right. Well, so, I mean, our goal is to, again, provide that deep visibility, regardless of what the underlying infrastructure looks like or what technologies people are using within the application itself. And so for us, it's really critical to make sure that we are providing that deep visibility in order to help our customers derive insights about how the application is performing and how it's impacting and connected back to what the business is trying to drive. Having that full context all in one place, one pane of glass, as Shreem noted, is really imperative in terms of being able to make informed decisions to drive the right actions within the organization, whether you're a developer or whether you're someone on the infrastructure side. So how do you do that in a multi-cloud environment? And this is for either of you all. I mean, multi-cloud to me, 
I'm a little skeptical of the whole concept because it's almost like, you know, multi-cloud magic. Like, what are you depending on? Are you depending on the infrastructure? Are you depending on the software itself? Does the software need to adapt more to being able to available multi-cloud? And why do you even need multi-cloud? I've been asking myself these questions lately. Maybe you can help me get some grounding here. Sure. So multi-cloud, I'll just touch upon those points, Alex. Uh, multi-cloud scenarios are very popular with our customers today. And as we're surveilling and talking to customers as well as prospects. And number of reasons for multi-cloud strategies today. Number one, customers want what's best in class across cloud providers, for instance. They're not necessarily married to a single cloud provider if they have confidence that when they're using services across two, maybe three plus cloud providers, that these services are working well in conjunction, right? There's no breaking happening on the front end with an application, that there's clarity on all the services and topology on the back end. And so in using best-in-class services, another vendor, for instance, may offer a particular piece of functionality innovation that their current cloud offering does not. And so that's why they're willing to branch out to a second and third vendor, perhaps. Number two is around vendor lock-in. So we see that customers, because their IT strategies and their, their commits and their budget are, these are multi-million dollar commits potentially across cloud platforms for enterprises globally, that they want to ensure that they um, also have flexibility to maneuver between cloud providers as their year-to-year -year plans change and evolve, and that they're not locked into a single provider over a longer term period. So those are two key concerns and innovations that we see customers adopting today. Yeah, I will say though, in addition to you know multi-cloud, um, definitely see that trend. However, I would say that almost more readily available today is the hybrid model. And I think I was reading a stat the other day that said something like 90% of customers in the next couple of years will adopt that hybrid approach. And so that's something certainly that we are taking into account as we think about our product roadmap. So how are we enabling our customers to deliver that experience, that customer experience, regardless of where the app is sitting, uh, where the workloads are migrating across on-prem or cloud scenarios. What does that mean to you then? What does hybrid mean to you? Hybrid to me is more about you're using some of it in a private cloud in addition to a public cloud, whereas multi-cloud tend to be using multiple public cloud providers. Mm-hmm. And so when you're using a private cloud, your own data center, and you're using then a cloud service, are you running the same stack on each or are you using the cloud service and the private cloud really for individual stacks and using one that fits best to each different environment? You could be seeing a bit of both, Alex. You could be seeing there are enterprises just because of mission critical applications or workloads that are running in the cloud that they want to ensure that there's resiliency and repetitiveness in case a particular cloud service were to go down. They can still rely on their private cloud or on-premises deployment as a backup option. So we're seeing that, uh, number one. Number two, we are seeing, in many cases, enterprises using their private cloud offering and on-premises deployments for certain applications and the cloud vendors and cloud services for additional applications. We do see both scenarios playing out right now. But it seems primarily the scenario that's playing out is backup environments, for instance. Correct. 
especially with the need for business resiliency, cybersecurity concerns, operational concerns, there is that need for redundancy and you know a backup plan or a backup to the backup plan, in fact. So looking to the future, maybe Whitney, I can ask you this, does that seem like a trend that you see happening with hybrid cloud? Is that, you know, for instance, uh, you know, container-based architectures may run in a cloud service where you can do your CI/CD and run developer tools, or you can manage your applications through the different microservices you're developing. But when it comes to like running super sensitive workloads, you might think of it in a different way and run those on a private environment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see that every day. I mean, it's one of those where, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it, it kind of depends. It, it varies by industry. It varies by customer comfort, putting things and risk tolerance. But we do see a trend and quite a big adoption of that hybrid approach. And I expect it to continue to grow. Mm -hmm. And much more so than multi-cloud then. And that's at least what we're seeing. But sure, that's, that, that's my take. I, I don't know if you have another. I think when you look at enterprises globally, that they are elite. The trend that we're seeing right now is, you know, as, as Whitney mentioned, is that the hybrid cloud model is taking precedent because companies, you know, and, and it's also very relevant across different industry verticals too. So companies are looking to ways in which they can actually house a lot of their sensitive data or a lot of their mission critical workloads in on-premises, private cloud environments. We're seeing that across the board with a very regulated industries such as healthcare, of course, you know, across the government, financial services, insurance. So in terms of those industries, yes, they are taking steps to move more workloads to the cloud. And we have a number of offerings and to enable them to have the confidence that they need to do that. For instance, of APM is a, is a really great offering from Cisco Nap Dynamics that enables our federal state, local governments to be able to have confidence in their cloud migration journeys. And so hybrid cloud is certainly precedent and multi-cloud strategies, I feel just from you know, talking to customers as well as the feedback that we're getting across the board from customers and partners is that multi-cloud scenarios will also come to fruition across different industry verticals, but really hybrid cloud is where we're putting a lot of the emphasis right now. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's more opportunity right now, like as you're saying, that hybrid environment. I guess my question is, I think it's pretty well been proven that you can run pretty secure workloads in a cloud environment. So is it mostly just kind of a, and I guess there's compliance reasons why you might want to run it on your own data center, for instance. Are there other workloads that are really important to run on your own infrastructure and independent of cloud? I mean, I'm trying to think of like next generation workloads as well. Like I think sometimes about edge environments, right? Maybe you want to use a cloud services edge environment, but you can easily deploy your own edge environment, can't you? So does that count as like a multi-cloud type of environment where you're running, you know, an edge environment on your own infrastructure, but you might use an infrastructure on a cloud service, for instance, that also has edge? So with edge environments and deployments using edge technologies, we do see that as Whitney was mentioning, many of our bleeding edge, pun not intended, with customers who are adopting edge technologies, they are really using cloud native in a way that is productive and most beneficial for their needs. And so edge is a natural evolution for those bleeding edge customers that are looking to adopt technologies on the edge, 
even you know, 5G technologies, for instance, in their deployments. For the vast majority of our customers who are in a hybrid cloud and um, even potentially just starting or midway through the cloud migration journey, they're looking at Edge as a possibility for them to be able to leverage. But right now, their main focus is, as, as you were saying, how do we ensure resiliency that we have the right workloads mm-hmm. on-premise versus in the cloud environment? And then after that decision is made, the next decision is, do we need to actually adopt a multi-cloud environment to then ensure that we're getting best-in-class services across cloud environments and that we're not just potentially stuck with one cloud vendor going forward? And then after that, then they can consider things like microservices, container orchestration, edge technologies, et cetera. So that's really the journey that we're seeing our customers and we're guiding them on. So maybe just in conclusion, Whitney, we can talk a little bit about automation and uh, what you're seeing in terms of AI and how automation and AI intersect. And what is that intelligence that these next generation infrastructures are allowing to capture? in terms of optimizations of the ability to free resources. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll use an example here. So like, think about an application from an app dynamics perspective, we have deep visibility into how that's performing, right? And what the actual ultimate end user experience is looking like. When we're able to detect that there's some degradation in performance, using some of our tools, we can get in and understand, you know, maybe this is being caused by some infrastructure that needs to be better scaled. Taking that intelligence into the infrastructure, having those infrastructure teams see that direct correlation between how the infrastructure is performing and what the application is delivering to the end user enables them to then automate some things like scaling VMs with a simple click of the button, or or excuse me, once once they get that intelligence, uh, we can automatically scale and to right size this infrastructure environment that's supporting that application performance. So we're seeing a lot of trends in that general direction where we're able to automate some of those more basic fundamental things that might impact that end user experience. And where our teams are so excited about this is that it actually frees up quite a bit of time to then innovate. Whether you're on the development side, you know, you're no longer worried about what the code, having to go and fix bugs and debug things in production, you can actually just focus on innovating new features. The same is true regardless of where you sit in IT. You want to be focused on pushing new product and getting that experience to our customers. And that's all enabled by automation across Mm. the stack. What is then the intelligence that is being captured? What is it that you're seeing inside the user experience, for instance, you know, that provides a kind of a more granular view uh, and how is that going to get better with AI? a feature called the experience journey map where we're using intelligence to automatically map out all the different steps that an end user is taking on the front end of the application. So they're able to automatically create for our IT teams a pathway that's showing those very popular journeys. We can then correlate that with business performance. And when we see some sort of degradation in how users are progressing through the app, we're able to correlate that to what the impact is on the business, which then helps our IT teams prioritize where they need to remediate some action. So that's a kind of intelligence, that automatic population of those journeys that is fairly new to the space. And we're really excited to see customers embracing that to really take away some of that tedious work of mapping each of those different steps across the journey. Shrey, would you add anything to that, uh, just in conclusion? To add, I would just say, 
going back to an earlier point I made, our goal with AI and ML is really to ensure that all of our technology deployments are helping our customers ensure that their development teams, their DevOps teams are really helping to drive business performance. And so in doing that, we want to make their lives easier. We want to give them increased visibility through you know, broader support of data types from agents, cloud providers, open standards, whether they're using products across the Cisco family portfolio as well. And we want to ensure that they have the right amount of auto scaling. We know that they're under tremendous cost pressure. So we're also giving them the right sizing their workload so that they're ensuring that they're within budget and just generally making their lives easier in terms of troubleshooting by actually capturing those areas where there are points of failure and potentially even auto-correcting them via our AI and ML algorithms. And so in doing that, then that will give them the peace of mind that they need to work with their business line owners, their product managers, their executives, to then be able to drive on their projects uh, going forward rather than um, being stuck with some of those major troubleshooting and firewalls. Right. So those unanswered questions, uh, you know, you can maybe more quickly get to them. Correct. Well, Shrey, Whitney, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk today about these next generation architectures and what we think about data centers and cloud architectures and the meaning of hybrid and multi-cloud. I've been joined by Shrey Parikh, who's Senior Manager of Product Marketing at AppDynamics, and Whitney Satin, Director of Product Marketing at AppDynamics. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you, Alex. AppDynamics is the number one application performance monitoring solution on the market today. See why thousands of enterprise customers choose AppDynamics for delivering world-class application experiences at www.appdynamics.com. Listen to more episodes of the New Stack Makers at thenewstack.io slash podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like us on YouTube, and follow us on SoundCloud. Thanks for listening and see you next time.